of that. I have just a really, really tight 25-point sermon to preach this morning. And then <laughs> Last week, we took time to remind ourselves that God has di- designed each one of us to connect and serve. Those are the two words that I'm hitting again and again. We need to connect and we need to serve. We need to connect with one another in meaningful relationships. And those relationships should be built on our impulse to be servants. We might not always feel like that's how we're made, but the Bible tells us that regardless of my personal perspective on who I am or what I like or what I like to do, despite all of those things, God created me to connect and to serve. I was thinking about it this week, uh, uh, looking at a, a couple of Legos. I used to love to play with Legos. How many people love to play with Legos? That's okay, you can admit it, it's okay, it's okay. There's, this is family here, you can say it. I love to play with Legos. You know what I discovered early on? One Lego is not fun to play with. It's not fun to play with one Lego. Legos are wonderful because they can become anything. You can let your imagination run wild, but one Lego is not fun to play with. A single Lego is, is rectangular, it's sharp, it hurts when you step on it. Legos kind of all look the same, they connect. Uh, and make something else, but on their own, they aren't that much fun. They were made to connect. The problem with thinking of us as Legos, though, is that individual Legos are pretty unremarkable. They're all more or less the same shape. They're all just one color. They're rigid. They're unimaginative. They're unoriginal on their own. You really got to put them together to make something worth having. But that is not the case for human beings. As individuals, human beings are highly unique. We are fluid. We are beautiful. We are wonderfully creative as individuals. In fact, you might look at a particular human being and you might see that person's strengths and abilities and talents. You might see their self confidence and you might think now now there's the ex, uh, the exception to the rule surely this individual is self-sufficient surely this person can be completely healthy and fulfill God's purposes without needing help from anybody else you might think that but the bible says even in that case you would be wrong Despite our uniqueness, despite our beauty as individuals, despite the fact that there are no Lego people in God's kingdom, still, each one of us was designed to connect and serve. Our individual uniqueness is what I want to talk today because it's not, it's not something that keeps us from connecting. It's actually one of the biggest reasons why we were meant to connect that's what I want to talk about today. We read quite a bit last week from 1 Corinthians, the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that gathered in the city of Corinth. And in what we call chapter 12 of his letter, he of course didn't break it down into chapters. We did that later on. But in what we call chapter 12 of his letter, he talks about this dynamic of connecting and serving and he likens it to the human body. This is what we were saying last week. Let me read to you more of what he says from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The apostle Paul says, just as a body, he's talking about a human body, just as a body, though one, has many parts, But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. That's what we were praying over Lorvely a few moments ago, right? We were all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, one spirit, one body. We are one, but then he goes on, but even so, the 
body is not just made up of one part, but of many. There's many here. And so there's this body analogy, many, many unique parts in the human body that form a single, healthy, functioning body. So think about it, your elbows do not look like and do not function like your hair. They're two different parts. And your hair does not look like or function like your intestines because they're two different parts of your body. And your intestines do not look like or function like your thumbs because they're two different parts of the same body. And your thumbs do not look like or function like that uvula, the dangly thing in the back of your throat. And how many of you are grateful today that you don't have a thumb dangling in the back of your throat, right? This is how our bodies were made. Unique, individual, distinct parts that come together in their uniqueness and form one body. That means that each of us, if we are all a part of this body, each of us has a unique part to play. Nikki, I'm gonna ask you to turn the piano back on for a moment because I'm gonna move over there. The reason I'm gonna do that for just a second is I have spent most of my life training as a musician. A musician. And so when I hear the phrase part to play, each one of us has a unique part to play, I don't think about parts as in body parts. I think about playing a part as a musician would play a part. I was trained as a classical musician. I was trained as a solo pianist. That means growing up when I was playing the piano, I was the only one on stage. I was playing Bach, I was playing Beethoven, I was playing Mozart, I was playing Chopin. I was alone on the stage training as a solo classical musician. But then when I got old enough, you know, to need some money, you know what I'm talking about? Right? When I needed to start doing some jobs, what I found out is that nobody pays a guy to stand on a stage and play Beethoven. It's not really a very good gig, okay? If you wanna make money as a musician, you have to learn how to play with other musicians. And so most of the work I've had throughout my career has been as an ensemble musician. I had to learn how to play pop music. I had to learn how to play dinner music or smooth jazz. Right? I had to learn how to do different things than what I was trained to do. And so I became the choir accompanist, playing the piano with all the vocal musicians. I became a member or, of, of the pit orchestra, playing with the other musicians while the musical went on. I became a member of the wedding band. That's right, folks. That's right, okay. Electric slide, anybody? I can get down with that, all right? Um, I became a member of the worship team. Right? I had to learn how to play with other musicians. And I had to, in order to do that, learn to play my instrument a different way. As a soloist, you just go and you play the song, right? You just go and you read the notes and you play the song. But to be a member of an ensemble, to be one part of a body of musicians, I had to learn how to play my part. Let me show you what I mean. We sang today, right at the end of our song service, uh, Jesus at the center of it all. Well, I'm going to make it sound like a piano here for a second. So if I was a solo musician and I was just going to play the very beginning of Jesus at the center of it all, nobody's going to sing. I'm just providing the music, right? I'm going to be providing melody. I'm going to fill out all the harmonies. I'm going to play the bass line. And I'm going to try and make it sound like Jesus at the center of it all. And it's going to sound something like... That's how I would do it if I was a solo musician. 
about 20 minutes ago I was, part of the ensemble playing it, I can't do all that. Because there's other guys doing parts of those. I can't be the bass and the rhythm and the harmony and the melody. I've got to just find what my part is. Maybe I'm just there as I was today to kind of fill out the harmonies a little bit and to maybe offer a little embellishment. And so in what we did earlier today, playing my part as part of the ensemble, here's what I was doing on the very same song. second version is a whole lot easier because there's a lot less going on. There's, it's, it's, it sounds a lot less complex. There's a lot less to worry about. But I can tell you as a musician, on the contrary, the first version is easier to do once you know your instrument because you kind of just go and you cover everything. You just do everything. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about what other people are doing. As a soloist, I just go play all the notes. But in an ensemble, I have to be aware of the unique part I'm playing and how it connects to the parts that the other musicians are playing. So I have to know, for instance, is it my part to, to play the bass line? Ordinarily on the worship team, the answer would be no. But today our bass player couldn't make it. So I had to cover that part on the keyboard. I had to do something different than I ordinarily would do. Is it my part to keep the rhythm? Today, no. We have a drummer. We have a rhythm guitar player. I'm not going to do the rhythm. I'm going to fill out a little bit of the harmonies. Maybe a little bit more than usual because we were working with only one vocalist. I have to know the other parts and know how my part fits along with their parts. I have to be able to respond and react to the other musicians. I have to join them in emphasizing something that they're doing or I need to be able to back off and let them shine as they do it alone. There's a micro decisions being processed every second when you're playing as part of an ensemble if you're going to be able to do it well. I have to be precise and I have to be accurate when I'm playing with other musicians in my part so that I don't throw the other guys off, right? As a soloist, if I make a mistake, if I lose my place, if I trip over something, I can kind of tango through it, as they say, right? And just kind of get back to where I need to go. But as part of an ensemble, if I make a mistake, I risk throwing the whole train off the tracks. I risk messing everybody else up. And that's really the point. The key to functioning in a body that's built of many different parts is understanding your part so that you can move quite literally in harmony with the entire, part, with the entire body. In his letter, uh, Paul gives the Corinthians an idea of how some of those individual parts might work in the church, in the body of Christ. I'm actually gonna go back a little bit to verse eight of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. There's one way it could function. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another faith, and he goes on here, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. And he could go on and on and in other passages of scripture. He does, he goes on and on. But at this point, he just sums it up in verse 11 by saying, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So these are examples of what we call spiritual gifts. You've probably heard that term before. The idea that the Holy Spirit gives specific abilities, talents, passions, 
gifts to individuals and groups as they come together in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts. God is giving his church the ability to accomplish the mission that he has given them. There are a number of places in the Bible where spiritual gifts are mentioned, and there's no one single exhaustive list that says these are the 12 spiritual gifts you must have one of these and no others no i think the holy spirit is far more creative than that sometimes he talks about these in other passages we might read about some of these here we might read about some of those and i believe there's ways that the spirit is gifting the church today that we might not even tie to one particular word in scripture the point is just the holy spirit is gifting his church Some of the gifts are are supernatural. They they feel like miracles, things we've never seen before. Some of them are very practical, very practical abilities. But we say God's in that because the Spirit is giving gifts to his people. The point is this. The Holy Spirit equips different believers with various unique gifts so that they can all come together and function as a body. And that's because... The body works best when we each play our part. When I was in undergraduate school in in college as a music major, one of the most difficult courses I took was, was a course on orchestration. It was a required course. I was a piano player, but in our orchestration class, we had to spend a year learning how every individual instrument in the symphony orchestra functions. So I'm learning a little bit about the clarinet, a little bit about the trombone, a little bit about the timpani, a little bit about the violins, a little bit about every different individual instrument. They don't all work the same. Some of them work very, very differently and do very, very different things from one another. When it came time for the final exam in my orchestration class, rather than taking a written test, we were given an assignment. Our assignment was to take a piece of classical music written for the piano and orchestrate it for the symphony orchestra. So I had to take a piano piece and turn it into a piece for the entire symphony orchestra. And on the day of the final exam, rather than just reviewing the music that we had made, the instructor invited the orchestra, the university orchestra, to come into the rehearsal hall. And on the final exam, one by one, we passed out our parts to all the members of the orchestra and our instructor who was the conductor got up and conducted the orchestra and basically we were given a grade based on how well the members of the orchestra could play the parts that we had written for them. They would play through the piece once and then they would be given the opportunity to critique our work and they would say well this you know this works fine for my instrument congratulations you know how a viola works. Or sometimes they would say, this is, I, I can't do this. I can't play the music that you gave to me. Not because it's too hard for me, but because you asked me to do something that my instrument doesn't do. I remember one of my classmates had orchestrated something and when he was done, the French horn players, the poor French horn players in the orchestra, they were about ready to pass out. And they said, this, this won't, these notes, we can't play these notes. These are much too high. You should have given this to the flutes. Good grief, I'm, I'm trying to play on a French horn, it's just not going to work. I remember somebody else got a critique from, from the, uh, the string bass player saying, you, you gave me three notes to play at a time. I've only got four strings. I, you know, the string bass just wasn't made to do that. I, I, it doesn't work that way. So we were, we were graded based on how well we knew the instruments. Could they actually play the part that we had given them? Every instrument is made uniquely 
to do its job in concert, literally, right, with the other instruments. In order to assign the proper part, you have to understand how it's been made. Folks, God assigned you a part in the kingdom. He assigns you a part to play. And sometimes you probably feel like that French horn player. Sometimes you probably feel like God got it wrong. But that couldn't be. That couldn't be. Who better to assign you your part than the one who designed you? Who better to know what you are capable of than the one whose hands formed you? Who better to know what part you can play than the one who made you? Sometimes it just takes us a little bit of time to figure that stuff out. It takes us a little bit of time to figure out how we're made and how we best can function. It's like that actually with instruments too. Many of the most important musical instruments today were developed because somebody figured out a new and better way to play their part. For centuries, instrument makers, musicians, were trying to figure out how to use a keyboard to pluck the strings of a harp. They took harps, great big harps, and turned them on their side and developed keyboards that would connect to levers, that would connect to little quills to pluck those harp strings so that they could just play on the keyboard and pluck the strings of the harp. That's how we ended up with ancient instruments like the clavier or the harpsichord. But there was a problem with those instruments because when they plucked the strings, they could only ever pluck them at one velocity. They had a little quill and they would just pluck the string. And so the sound that came out was beautiful enough, but it was never very loud. It was never very resonant. It wouldn't last very long. And there was no way to play it louder or softer. You either plucked the string or you didn't. There was no way to fluctuate that. And instrument makers were stymied by this for centuries until the 1700s when an Italian by the name of Cristofori developed a way to instead of pluck the strings, what if we had little hammers that hit them? And what if I used, instead of just one key moves the hammer, what if I used a series of levers so that you could press the key very softly and the hammer would just come up a little bit, or you could press it very, very harshly and the hammer would come right up and hit that string. And he built that and it could play both soft and loud. And because he was Italian, he named his instrument after the Italian word for soft, loud, pianoforte. And we shortened it and we call it the piano. It was made because he discovered a better way of making the sound that he wanted to make. Or think about guitar players. For, for literally, for millennia, we've known that if you take a hollow, hollow wooden box and you cut a hole in it and then stretch some strings over that hole, if you strum those strings, you can make music. And so we have ancient instruments like that, the lute and the mandolin. And as long as you've got that hollow wooden box, right, Dave, with a hole over it, you can make beautiful, beautiful music. And then the 20th century came and guitar players started inserting little tiny microphones right at the hole to that box. They called them pickups and they started to amplify that sound, but you still needed the box. You needed the resonance of that box with the hole in it so that you could amplify the sound and then a man by the name of Les Paul, says, well, what if we didn't have a hollow box? What if we just use electronics to amplify the sound? And the world said, amplify what sound? If there's no hollow box, it won't make a sound. And Les Paul said, I think I can make it make a sound. He literally took a four by four piece of lumber 
And he just stretched strings across it and he started playing with the electronics and the world had its first solid state electric guitar. And the folks at Gibson said, we wanna produce that, the Gibson Les Paul. And the folks at Fender said, we're gonna beat you to it and they produced the Telecaster. And the sound of popular music was changed forever because somebody said, I think I know a better way to play the part. I think I can play the part in a way that nobody else has ever even imagined. It changed music forever. Church, don't presume that you don't have a part to play just because you don't look like the other instruments in the ensemble. God made you uniquely. Maybe you're that four by four with strings stretched across and you're looking at, look at all these hollow boxes. Well, maybe God's doing something different in your life. God knows what he's doing and he knew what he was doing when he made you. He made you uniquely and he designed you to play your part perfectly. You just have to work with him to discover what that part might be. You could be the first piano. You could be the first electric guitar. The things that make each instrument unique are exactly the things that make it best suited to play its part. I wanna tell you one more thing today. Paul references this just a few lines later in the letter, beginning in verse 24. He says, but God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Joy, you prayed this for us today. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ in each one of you. Each, did you hear that? Each, oh, I didn't even see that. Each one of you, yeah, that means you. I'm looking in the camera, yeah, that means you. If you know Jesus is your savior, you're part of the body of Christ. Each one of you, Paul says, has a part to play. He's reminding us with this body analogy that if you stub your toe, your toe doesn't cry all by itself. Your knee bends and your hand grabs your foot and your mouth yells and your eyes water and you go, ow! That's what happens if you stub your toe. The rejoicing part I never really understood until my dad used to work midnights and he would wake up in the middle of the day and need to, not in the middle of the day, but he'd wake up at dinner time. And he'd come down and he'd say, Dan, would you scratch my back? And I'd scratch his back. You know where this is going, right? Just the minute you hit that itch, what do you do? The back doesn't just rejoice. Oh, oh, oh. I always thought my dad was strange. <laughs> and then the Lord gave me Tyler. <laughs> and that little boy has the spiritual gift of back scratch. And oh, every part of my body rejoices when he gets just the right spot, right? No part rejoices on its own. No part suffers on its own. Here's what I wanna say about that. We each need every other part. We each, each of us needs every other part. You don't go to church because you need your pastor. You don't go to church because you need the, your deacon to pray for you. You go to church because you need every other part. We don't always see it every day. Chances are you could come in and out of this building and not recognize the unique individual way that random person on the other side of the congregation has supported you. But that's just today, and that's just because you didn't see it. The Holy Spirit says, I see it. The Holy Spirit says, I know. He says, you need every other part. You, we don't go to church because we want to see what we can receive. We go to church because we want to serve every other part. 
I don't go to church trying to figure out what I can receive today. I go to church because every other member of my church family needs me there today. I don't know why, and chances are I'm going to go home not knowing why, but I believe in faith that the Spirit knew why. I believe in faith that the Spirit knew why. It certainly works that way in music. Each member of the ensemble needs every part. The song doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right if even a single musician is missing. The ensemble can't perform the right way unless each one is playing their part. 1954, Jimmy Stewart starred in the Glenn Miller story. I don't like old movies. Sue loves old movies. She's seen millions of them. She loves them all. I don't like old movies. I love the Glenn Miller story. It's the musician in me, and who doesn't like Jimmy Stewart, right? Jimmy Stewart uh, plays this part loosely based on the life of Glenn Miller. He spends... He spends the entire movie talking about, I'm looking for that sound. He says there's a new sound. He's well well known as a, a director of jazz ensembles, but he's looking for a different sound and he just can't find it. And then one day as his orchestra is getting ready to perform, he finds out that his lead trumpet player can't make it to the gig. It's a last minute thing and they have to scramble. The lead trumpet player was a uniquely gifted guy who could play notes higher up on the trumpet than most trumpeters could. And so ordinarily you might say, well, next man up, let's have the second trumpet play the lead. But the second trumpet said, I can't play those notes. They're gonna have to do something. And somebody in the ensemble said, well, why don't we give so-and-so a call? He plays clarinet, and the clarinet can play those pitches quite easily. And so they brought a clarinetist in to sit, and clarinet, what's that going to do? They bring a clarinetist in, they start running the first piece, and Jimmy Stewart is Glenn Miller. says, that's it. That's the sound. That's the sound I was looking for. And if you're a musician, you kind of understand how this works. He started to use that clarinet voice and to rearrange where the other instruments were. And it gave birth to what we know as the classic Glenn Miller big band sound. You know, anytime you hear da 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 dum bum 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 ba da 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 dum bum bum and you go swing dancing to In the Mood, right? That happened because somebody said, I think I can play that part. I think I can play that part. I believe that when God looks at HRCC, Just like Jimmy Stewart in that movie, he's imagining a sound. He's saying, I created this group of people to make a particular kind of music. Where's that sound that I've been looking for? My deepest desire is to hear the music that only God could have conceived of. For that to happen, though, each one of us needs to learn to play our part. I want to conclude today by having a time of prayer. I think the question that we all have is, that's well and good, but how do I discover the part I was meant to play? How many of us haven't felt like that at one time or another or another or another? Pastor, you can say God created me uniquely to do something that nobody else can do, but I don't see it. How do I discover, even if I dare to believe it, How do I discover the part I was meant to play? I believe that one very important answer to that can be found elsewhere in the Apostle Paul's writing. You see, late in his life, he was writing letters not to churches, but to an individual. He wrote twice in Scripture to his apprentice, Timothy. And Paul knew that his time in serving the churches was soon going to come to an end. And so he's writing these letters and we can see him passing the baton off to Timothy. 
his apprentice. And he's saying, in essence, Timothy, you've worked by my side for years and years and years. I've taught you all I can teach you. But the time is coming where you're going to have to step into my shoes and do it without me. And he's pouring into Timothy, kind of giving him, passing this baton, uh, passing the torch on. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he, he references, he says, Timothy, you're going to have to use the gifts that you've been given. He, he basically is preaching the sermon I just preached, probably without the Glenn Miller reference. Maybe without the Les Paul reference. But essentially the message I just preached. And look at what he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It's not on the screens. I just want to read this to you. Paul says to his young apprentice, for this reason... I remind you to fan into flame that gift of God. He's talking about spiritual gifts, right? I I remind you to fan into flame that gift of God, listen, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, the unique God-designed purpose of your life was realized when you connected with someone who would serve you. Connect and serve. That purpose in your life was made evident when you connected. When we literally laid our hands upon you and asked that God would pour into you and show you the part that you were meant to play. Timothy, that was the moment. Now, I don't know this for sure, But I can only imagine that Paul is not referring only to one specific instance. Not like one moment where he happened to brush up against Timothy's shoulder and just zapped him. And Timothy was like, I know what I was meant to do. I don't imagine that that's what Paul is talking about. I think Paul is saying, Timothy, you and I connected. We served one another well. And I prayed for you. And I prayed for you. And I want you to think back over the way that you were anointed at that altar when I prayed for you. I want you to think back over the times that you've had with the Lord as others have surrounded you and poured into your life. I want you to bring that all to mind now because I believe the Spirit has given you a part to play. I believe the Spirit has given you a part to play. And if you don't know your part, I dare say the worst thing you could do would be to go home and wonder about it. I dare say the best thing you could do is find someone who would sit with you and just say, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? I believe the Lord has a part for me to play, but I don't have the foggiest idea what it is. Maybe I used to know, but maybe I'm in a new season of my life right now. Maybe the music is changing. Maybe the ensemble is a little different. Maybe I never really knew. Maybe I was always just the kind of person who came to listen to the concert, but it's time for me to pick up an instrument and start playing. Because I believe God hears a sound. I believe God hears a sound. We're only going to hear it when we all begin to play our parts. I'm going to pray over us today. And as I do so, I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. But... If you'd like me to pray with you, as you're finding your part, I'm going to ask you to make eye contact with me at some point in this prayer. We're just going to see what the Lord may do in your life. I'm not going to call you out, but I'd like to know who I'm praying for. 
And so I'm going to ask everybody to just start with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And as I begin to pray, you'll see me walking around. I want you to look into my eyes. And I'll know to be praying for you just like Paul prayed for Timothy. I'll know that the Lord is moving in your heart just now, calling you and equipping you and providing a part for you to play. I'll know that I have a chance to connect and to serve with you. Lord, we just thank you for this moment right now. I thank you for all you're doing in this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for the music that you hear when you look at Hobson Road Community Church. And Father, we rejoice for the music that we hear at Hobson Road Community Church. I thank you, Lord, that there is much to celebrate in this ensemble. But Lord, I I know that there's more music to be made. And so I just pray for this people right now. I pray that you would equip us, that you would fill us. I pray, Lord, that you would make evident in our hearts and in our lives that gift that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that you would hand us our instruments and place the music in front of us and give us the privilege of playing our part of making music in the heavens. I thank you for the call of God which is without repentance. Nothing can change it. And we receive that today. Lord, for those who are reaching out right now and just connecting with me in this moment, I pray, Lord, that you would baptize them anew and afresh with power from on high. That their lives would be made suited for the part that they were given to play. I thank you for accomplishing this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, church. Come next week for the house belts. Be ready to receive a word from them. Hope to see you Friday night for Featured Friday. And give Lordly a greeting today before you leave. God bless.